Section 47 of the Book of Household Management. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton. Recipes. Chapter 21, Part 4. Broiled Pigeons. 973. Ingredients. Pigeons, three ounces of butter, pepper and salt to taste. Mode. Take care that the pigeons are quite fresh, and carefully pluck, draw and wash them. Split the backs, rub the birds over with butter, season them with pepper and salt, and boil them over a moderate fire for a quarter of an hour or twenty minutes. Serve very hot with either mushroom sauce or a good gravy. Pigeons may also be plainly boiled and served with parsley and butter. They should be trussed like boiled fowls and take from quarter of an hour to twenty minutes to boil. Time. To broil a pigeon. From quarter of an hour to twenty minutes. To boil one the same time. Average cost from sixpence to ninepence each. Seasonable from April to September, but in the greatest perfection from midsummer to Michaelmas. The Powder Pigeon This is a very favourite pigeon, and without doubt the most curious of his species. He is a tall, strong bird, as he had need to be to carry about his greatly inflated crop, frequently as large and as round as a middling-sized turnip. A perfect powder, seen on a windy day, is certainly a ludicrous sight. His feathered legs have the appearance of white trousers, his tapering tail looks like a swallow-tailed coat, his head is entirely concealed by his immense windy protuberance, and altogether he reminds you of a little swell of a past century, staggering under a bale of linen. The most common powders are the blues, buffs and whites, or an intermixture of all these various colours. The powder is not a prolific breeder, is a bad nurse, and more likely to degenerate if not repeatedly crossed and recrossed with Irish stock than any other pigeon. Nevertheless, it is a useful bird to keep if you are founding a new colony, as it is much attached to its home, and little apt to stray. Consequently, it is calculated to induce more restless birds to settle down and make themselves comfortable. If you wish to breed pouters, you cannot do worse than entrust them with the care of their own eggs. Roast Pigeons 974 Ingredients. Pigeons, three ounces of butter, pepper and salt to taste. Trussing. Pigeons, to be good, should be eaten fresh. If kept a little, the flavour goes off, and they should be drawn as soon as killed. Cut off the heads and necks, truss the wings over the backs, and cut off the toes at the first joint, previous to trussing. They should be carefully cleaned, as no bird requires so much washing. Mode. Wipe the birds very dry. Season them inside with pepper and salt, and put about three-quarters of an ounce of butter into the body of each. This makes them moist. Put them down to a bright fire, and baste them well the whole of the time they are cooking. They will be done enough in from twenty to thirty minutes. Garnish with fried parsley, and serve with a tureen of parsley and butter. Bread sauce and gravy, the same as for roast fowl, 
are exceedingly nice accompaniments to roast pigeon, as also egg sauce. Time, from 20 minutes to half an hour. Average cost, sixpence to ninepence each. Seasonable from April to September, but in the greatest perfection from midsummer to Michaelmas. THE PIGEON The pigeon tribe forms a connecting link between the passerine birds and poultry. They are widely distributed over the world, some of the species being found even in the Arctic regions. Their chief food is grain, and they drink much, not at intervals like other birds, but by a continuous draught like quadrupeds. The wild pigeon, or stock-dove, is the parents whence all the varieties of domestic pigeon are derived. In the wild state it is still found in many parts of this island, making its nest in the holes of rocks, in the hollows of trees, or in old towers, but never, like the ring-dove, on branches. The blue-house pigeon is the variety principally reared for the table in this country, and is produced from our farmyards in great numbers. When young and still fed by their parents, they are most preferable for the table, and are called squabs. Under six months they are denominated squeakers, and at six months they begin to breed. Their flesh is accounted savoury, delicate, and stimulating, and the dark-coloured birds are considered to have the highest flavour, while the light are esteemed to have the more delicate flesh. THE PIGEON HOUSE OR DOVECOT The first thing to be done towards keeping pigeons is to provide a commodious place for their reception, and the next is to provide the pigeons themselves. The situation or size of the dovecot will necessarily depend on convenience, but there is one point which must invariably be observed, and that is that every pair of pigeons has two holes or rooms to nest in. This is indispensable, as, without it, there will be no security, but the constant prospect of confusion, breaking of eggs, and the destruction of young. The proper place for the pigeon-house is the poultry-yard, but it does very well near dwellings, stables, brew-houses, bake-houses, or such offices. Some persons keep pigeons in rooms, and have them making their nests on the floor. The object is to escape the danger of the young falling out, but in such a case there is a great risk of rats or other vermin getting at the pigeons. Aspect of the Pigeon House The front of the pigeon house should have a south-west aspect, and if a room be selected for the purpose, it is usual to break a hole in the roof of the building for the passage of the pigeons, but which can be closed at convenience. A platform ought to be laid at the entrance for the pigeons to perch upon, with some kind of defence against strange cats, which will frequently depopulate a whole dovecot. Yet, although cats are dangerous neighbours for the birds, they are necessary to defend them from the approach of rats and mice, which will not only suck the eggs, but destroy the birds. The platform should be painted white, and renewed as the paint wears off white being a favourite colour with pigeons, and also most conspicuous as a mark to enable them to find their house. The boxes ought to be similarly painted, and renewed when necessary, for which purpose lime and water will do very well. The necessity of cleanliness. 
As cleanliness in human habitations is of the first importance, so it is in the pigeon-house. There the want of it will soon render the place a nuisance not to be approached, and the birds, both young and old, will be so covered with vermin and filth that they will neither enjoy health or comforts, while early mortality amongst them will be almost certain. In some cases the pigeon-house is clean daily, but it should always be done at any rate once a week, and the floor covered with sifted gravel, frequently renewed. Pigeons, being extremely fond of water, and having a prescience of the coming of rain, they may be seen upon the house-tops waiting upon it till late in the evening, and then spreading their wings to receive the luxury of a refreshing shower. When they are confined in a room, therefore, they should be allowed a wide pan of water, to be often renewed. This serves them for a bath, which cools, refreshes, and assists them to keep their bodies clear of vermin. Breeding Pigeons In breeding pigeons it is necessary to match a cock and hen, and shut them up together, or place them near to each other, and in the course of a day or two there is little doubt of their mating. Various rules have been laid down for the purpose of assisting to distinguish the cock from the hen pigeons, but the masculine forwardness and action of the cock is generally so remarkable that it is easily ascertained. The pigeon being monogamous, the male attaches and confines himself to one female, and the attachment is reciprocal, and the fidelity of the dove to its mate is proverbial. At the age of six months young pigeons are termed squeakers, and then begin to breed when properly managed. Their courtship, and the well-known tone of voice of the cock then just acquired and commencing, are indications of their approaching union. Nestlings, while fed by cock and hen, are termed squabs, and are at that age sold and used for the table. The dove-house pigeon is said to breed monthly when well supplied with food. At all events, it may be depended on that pigeons of almost any healthy and well-established variety will breed eight or nine times in the year, whence it may readily be conceived how vast are the numbers that may be raised. The Carrier Pigeon Without doubts the carrier is entitled to rank first in the pigeon family, with the exception, perhaps, of the blue rock pigeons. No domestic fowl can be traced to so remote an antiquity. When Greece was in its glory, carrier pigeons were used to convey to distant parts the names of the victors at the Olympian Games. During the Holy War, when Acre was besieged by King Richard, Saladin habitually corresponded with the besieged by means of carrier pigeons. A shaft from an English crossbow, however, happened to bring one of those feathered messengers to the ground, and the stratagem was discovered. The design of the Saracens re revealed, and so turned against the designers, that Acre was in the hands of the Christians before the wily Saladin dreamt of such a thing. Pigeon Pie, Epsom Grandstand Recipe 975 Ingredients One and a half pounds of rump steak, two or three pigeons, three slices of ham, pepper and salt to taste, two ounces of butter, four eggs, puff crust. Mode. Cut the steak into pieces about three inches square. 
and with it line the bottom of a pie-dish, seasoning it well with pepper and salt. Clean the pigeons, rub them with pepper and salt inside and out, and put into the body of each rather more than half an ounce of butter. Lay them on the steak and a piece of ham on each pigeon. Add the yolks of four eggs and half fill the dish with stock. Place a border of puff pastry round the edge of the dish, put on the cover, and ornament it in any way that may be preferred. Clean three of the feet and place them in a hole made in the crust at the top. This shows what kind of pie it is. Glaze the crust, that is to say, brush it over with the yolk of an egg, and bake it in a well-heated oven for about one and a quarter hours. When liked, a seasoning of pounded mace may be added. Time, one and a quarter hour, or rather less. Average cost, five shillings and three pence. Sufficient for five or six persons. Seasonable at any time. Tumbler pigeons. The smaller the size of this variety, the greater its value. The head should be round and smooth, the neck thin, and the tail similar to that of the turbit. Highly bred birds of this variety will attain an elevation in their flight beyond that of any other pigeons, and it is in seeing these little birds wing themselves so far into the skies that the fanciers take such delight. For four or five hours tumblers have been known to keep on the wing, and it is when they are almost lost to the power of human vision they exhibit those pantomimic feats which give them their name, and which are marked by a tumbling over and over process, which suggests the idea of them having suddenly become giddy, being deprived of their self-control, or overtaken by some calamity. This acrobatic propensity in these pigeons has been ascribed to some to the absence of a proper power in the tail, but it is nothing more than a natural habit, for which no adequate reason can be assigned. Of this variety, the almond tumbler is the most beautiful, and the greater the variation of the colour in the flight and tail, the greater their value. The runt pigeon. This is generally esteemed among the largest of the pigeon varieties, and being possessed of proportionate strength, with a strong propensity to exercise it, they keep the dovecot in a state of almost continual commotion by domineering over the weaker inmates. They breed tolerably well, however, and are valuable for the table. There is both the leghorn and the Spanish runt, variously plumaged, but when red, white or black mottled are the most highly esteemed. One of the great advantages connected with the runt is that he is not likely to fly away from home. Being heavy birds, they find it difficult, when well fed, to mount even to a low housetop. Again, they require no loft or special dwelling place but if properly tended will be perfectly satisfied, and thrive as well in a rabbit hutch as anywhere. Their flavour is very good, and it is not uncommon for a squeaker runt to exceed a pound and a quarter in weight. THE NUN PIGEON The tumbler bears a strong resemblance to this variety, which is characterised by a tuft of feathers rising from the back of the head, and which, on the whole, is an extremely pretty little bird. According to the colour of the head, it is called the red, black, or yellow-headed nun. To be a perfect bird, it should have a small head and beak, and the larger the tuft at the back of his head, the handsomer the bird is esteemed, 
and proportionately valuable in the eyes of pigeon fanciers. THE TRUMPETER PIGEON From the circumstance of this bird imitating the sound of a trumpet instead of cooing, like the other pigeons, it has received its designation. It is of the middle size, having legs and feet covered with feathers, and its plumage generally of a mottled black and white. It has a tuft springing from the root of its beak, and the larger this topknot is, the higher the estimation in which the breed is held. In their power of trumpeting, some are more expert than others, and whether this had any effect in influencing their own estimate of themselves, we cannot say, but they are rather select in the choice of their company. If two of them are put in a pigeon-house with other doves, it will be found that they confine their association almost entirely to each other. As much as two guineas have been paid for a well-trained, docile bird of this kind. A wood or wild pigeon. Buffon enumerates upwards of thirty varieties of the pigeon, which he derives from one root, viz. the stock-dove, or common wild pigeon. All the varieties of colour and form which we witness, he attributes to human contrivance and fancy. Nevertheless, there exist essentially specific differences in these birds, which would appear to be attributable rather to the nature of the region, soil and climate to which they are indigenous, than to the art and ingenuity of man. The stock-dove, in its wild state, is still found in some parts of Britain, forming its nest in the holes of rocks, old towers, and in the hollows of trees. It never, however, like the ring-dove, nestles in the branches. Multitudes of wild pigeons still visit our shores in the winter, coming from their more northerly retreats, making their appearance about November, and retiring again in the spring. When forests of beechwood covered large tracts of the ground in this country, these birds used to haunt them in myriads, frequently covering a mile of ground in extent when they went out in the morning to feed. Stewed Pigeon 976 Ingredients Six pigeons, a few slices of bacon, three ounces of butter, two tablespoonfuls of minced parsley, sufficient stock number 104 to cover the pigeons, thickening of butter and flour, one tablespoonful of mushroom ketchup, one teaspoonful of port wine. Mode. Empty and clean pigeons thoroughly, mince the livers, add these to the parsley and butter, and put into the inside of the birds. Truss them with legs inward, and put them in a stewpan, with a few slices of bacon placed under and over them. Add the stock, and stew gently for rather more than half an hour. Dish the pigeons, strain the gravy, thicken it with butter and flour, add the ketchup and port wine, give one boil, pour over the pigeons, and serve. Time. Rather more than half an hour. Average cost, sixpence to ninepence each. Sufficient for four or five persons. Seasonable from April to September. The Fantail Pigeon. This curious variety is inferior in point of size to most other varieties, and is characterised by having a short, slender bill, pendant wings, and naked legs and feet. It has the power of erecting its tail in the manner of a turkey-cock, during which action, especially when paying court to its mate, it trembles or shakes, like the peacock when moving about with his train expanded and in full display. This power of erecting and spreading the tail is not confined to the male alone, 
The female possesses the same power to an equal extent, and otherwise resembles the male in every respect. It is not very prolific, and seldom succeeds so well in the aviary's pigeon-house as most of the other kinds. THE JACOBIN PIGEON This variety, having the power to transmit to posterity a form precisely similar with all its peculiar characters undiminished, is, amongst most pigeon fanciers, designated as of a pure or permanent race. It is distinguished by a remarkable ruff or frill of raised feathers, which, commencing behind the head and proceeding down the neck and breast, forms a kind of hood, not unlike that worn by a monk. From this circumstance it has obtained its Gallic name of Nonane Capuchin. Its side is one of the smallest of the domestic pigeons, and its form is light and elegant. It is a very productive species, and having its flight considerably impeded by the size and form of its hooded frill, keeps much at home, and is well adapted for the aviary or other buildings where pigeons are confined. The Turbot Pigeon This variety bears a strong resemblance to the Jacobin, having a kind of frill in the forepart of its neck, occasioned by the breast feathers lying contrariwise and standing straight out. The species is classed in accordance with the colour of the shoulders, similarly as the nuns are by the colour of their heads. Their characteristic of excellence are a full frill, short bill, and small round head. In Germany it is called a ruffle pigeon, in allusion to the feathers on its breast, and it has rarely any feathers on its feet. There is a peculiarity connected with this bird, which somewhat lowers it in the estimation of fanciers. It seldom rears more than one at a time, which therefore marks it as a bird rather for amusement than profit. The Barb Pigeon The name of this variety is a contraction of Barbary, from which country it originally came. It is both prolific and has excellent qualities as a nurse. The kind being most esteemed is that of one uniform colour, that of blue-black being preferable to any other. Speckled or mottled barbs are esteemed the most common of all pigeons. It is not unlike the carrier pigeon, and at so small distance might easily be mistaken for the latter. It has a short beak and small wattle. A spongy, pinky skin round the eyes is its chief characteristic, however, and this increases in size till the bird is three or four years old. This peculiarity is hardly distinguishable in very young birds. THE ROCK PIGEON This variety in its wild state is found upon the rocky parts of the west of Scotland, and the bold shores of the western isles, more abundant than in any other parts of the British isles. As the shores of the mainland are exposed to the muds of the Atlantic, and the comparatively small islands are surrounded by that ocean, the low grounds exposed to the west are seldom covered with snow for any length of time and thus the birds easily find a supply of food. The numbers which there congregate are often very great, and the din of their united cry is sometimes very loud and even alarming. The love of home and the certainty of returning to it is very conspicuous in the rot pigeon, or bisset as it is called by the French. Flocks from different parts of the coasts often meet on the feeding grounds. But when the time of returning to rest comes round, each one keeps to its own party. 
the owl-pigeon. This pigeon does not seem to be so well known as it formerly was, if we may judge from the fact that few modern writers mention it. Like the turbot pigeon, the owl has a remarkable tuft of feathers on the breast, it having been compared by some to the fill of a shirt, and by others to a full-blown white rose. In size it is not quite so large a pigeon as the Jacobin. It is said to be preferred in France, above all other varieties, as the bird to rear and kill for the table. In England it is very far from being common. Indeed, we have applied to several keepers of pigeons who have fancied themselves acquainted with all varieties of this bird, and they have been able to tell us nothing of it. Mr. Harrison Weir, our artist, however, has made his portrait from the life. Boiled Rabbit 977. Ingredients. Rabbit Water. Mode. For boiling, choose rabbits with smooth and sharp claws, as that denotes that they are young. Should these be blunt and rugged, the ears dry and tough, the animal is old. After emptying and skinning it, wash it well in cold water, and let it soak for about a quarter of an hour in warm water, to draw out the blood. Bring the head round to the side, and fasten it there by means of a skewer run through that and the body. Put the rabbit into sufficient hot water to cover it. Let it boil very gently till tender, which will be in from half to three quarters of an hour, according to its size and age. Dish it and smother it either with onion, mushroom or liver sauce, or parsley and butter. Former is, however, generally preferred to any of the latter named sauces. When liver sauce is preferred, the liver should be boiled for a few minutes, and minced very finely, or rubbed through a sieve before it is added to the sauce. Time. A very young rabbit, half an hour, a large one, three quarters of an hour, an old one, one hour or longer. Average cost, from one shilling to one shilling and sixpence each. Sufficient for four persons. Seasonable from September to February. The rabbit. Although this animal is an inhabitant of most temperate climates, it does not reach so far north as the hare. The wild rabbit is a native of Great Britain, and is found in large numbers in the sandy district of Norfolk and Cambridgeshire. Its flesh is, by some, considered to have a higher flavour than that of a tame rabbit, although it is neither so white nor so delicate. The animal, however, becomes larger and fatter in the tame than the wild state but it is not desirable to have it so fat as it can be made. Curried Rabbit, 978. Ingredients. One rabbit, two ounces of butter, three onions, one pint of stock, number 104, one tablespoonful of curry powder, one tablespoonful of rice, one teaspoonful of mushroom powder, the juice of half a lemon, half a pound of rice. Mode. Empty skin and wash the rabbit thoroughly and cut it neatly into joints. Put it into a stewpan with the butter and sliced onions, and let them acquire a nice brown colour, but do not allow them to blacken. Pour in the stock, which should be boiling, mix the curry powder and flour smoothly with a little water, add it to the stock with the mushroom powder, and simmer gently for rather more than half an hour. Squeeze in the lemon juice, and serve in the centre of a dish, with an edging of boiled rice all round. Where economy is studded, water may be substituted for the stock. In this case, the meat and onions must be very nicely browned. A little sour apple, 
and rasped coconut, served with the curry, will be found a great improvement. Time, altogether three quarters of an hour. Average costs from one shilling to one shilling and sixpence each. Sufficient for four persons. Seasonable in winter. The common or wild rabbit. Warrens or enclosures are frequently made in favourable localities, and some of them are so large as to comprise two thousand acres. The common wild rabbit is of a grey colour, and is esteemed the best for the purposes of food. Its skin is valuable as an article of commerce, being used for the making of hats. Another variety of rabbit, however, called the silver grey, has been lately introduced to this country, and is still more valuable. Its colour is a black ground thickly interspersed with grey hairs, and its powers as a destroyer and consumer of vegetable food are well known to be enormous, especially by those who have gardens in the vicinity of a rabbit warren. Fried Rabbit 979. Ingredients 1 rabbit, flour, dripping, 1 ounce of butter, 1 teaspoonful of minced shallot, 2 tablespoonfuls of mushroom ketchup. Mode. Cut the rabbit into neat joints and flour them well. Make the dripping boiling in the frying pan, put in the rabbit and fry a nice brown. Have ready a very hot dish, put in the butter, shallot and ketchup. Arrange the rabbit pyramidically on this and serve as quickly as possible. Time. Ten minutes. Average cost from one shilling to one shilling and sixpence each. Sufficient for four or five persons. Seasonable from September to February. Note, the rabbit may be brushed over with egg and sprinkled with bread crumbs and fried as above. When cooked in this manner, make the gravy in the pan by recipe number 866 and pour it round but not over the pieces of rabbit. Varieties in rabbits. Almost everyone knows that a rabbit is a furry animal that lives on plants and burrows in the ground. That it has its varieties as well as other animals, and that it is frequently and a special favourite with boys. Among its varieties, the short legs, with width and substance of loin, is the most hardy, and fattens the most expeditiously. It has, beside, the soundest liver, rabbits being generally subject to defects of that part. It is also the smallest variety. There is a very large species of the hair colour, having much bone, length and depth of carcass, large and long ears, with full eyes resembling those of the hare. It might readily be taken for a hybrid or mule, but for the objection to its breeding. Its flesh is highly coloured, substantial, and more savoury than that of the common rabbit, and cooked like the hare, it makes a good dish. The large white and yellow and white species have whiter and more delicate flesh, and cooked in the same way, will rival the turkey. Rabbits are divided into four kinds, distinguished as warreners, parkers, hedgehogs and sweethearts. The warrener, as its name implies, is a member of a subterranean community, and is less effeminate than his kind who dwell upon the earth and have the world as their will, and his fur is the most esteemed. After him comes the parker, whose favourite resort is a gentleman's pleasure ground where he usually breeds in great numbers, and from which he frequently drives away the hares. The hedgehog is a sort of vagabond rabbit, that tinker-like roams about the country, 
and would have a much better coat on his back if he were more settled in his habits, and remained more at home. The sweetheart is a tame rabbit, with fur so sleek, soft, and silky, that it is also used to some extent in the important branch of hat-making. Rabbit à la minute, 980. Ingredients. One rabbit, quarter of a pound of butter, salt and pepper to taste, two blades of pounded mace, three dried mushrooms, two tablespoons of minced parsley, two teaspoonfuls of flour, two glasses of sherry, one pint of water. Mode. Empty skin and wash the rabbit thoroughly, and cut it into joints. Put the butter into a stew pan with the pieces of rabbit, add salt, pepper and pounded mace, and let it cook until three parts done. Then put in the remaining ingredients and boil for about ten minutes. It will then be ready to serve. Fowls or hare may be dressed in the same manner. Time. Altogether, thirty-five minutes. Average cost, from one shilling to one shilling and sixpence each. Sufficient for four or five persons. Seasonable from September to February. Rabbit pie, nine eight one. Ingredients. One rabbit, a few slices of ham, salt and white pepper to taste, two blades of pounded mace, half a teaspoonful of grated nutmeg, a few forcemeat balls, three hard-boiled eggs, half a pint of gravy, puff crust. Mode. Cut up the rabbit, which should be young, remove the breastbone and bone the legs. Put the rabbit, slices of ham, forcemeat balls and hard eggs by turns in layers and season each layer with pepper, salt, pounded mace and grated nutmeg. Pour in about half a pint of water, cover with crust and bake in a well-heated oven for about one and a half hours. Should the crust acquire too much colour, place a piece of paper over it to prevent its burning. When done, pour in at the top by means of the hole in the middle of the crust, a little good gravy, which may be made of the breast and leg bones of the rabbit, and two or three shank bones, flavoured with onions, herbs and spices. Time, one and a half hour. Average cost, from one shilling to one shilling and sixpence each. Sufficient for five or six persons. Seasonable from September to February. Note. The liver of the rabbit may be boiled, minced and mixed with the forcemeat balls when the flavour is liked. Fecundity of the rabbit The fruitfulness of this animal has been the subject of wonder to all naturalists. It breeds seven times in a year, and generally begets seven or eight young ones at a time. If we suppose this to happen regularly for a period of four years, the progeny that would spring from a single pair would amount to more than a million. As the rabbit, however, has many enemies, it can never be permitted to increase its numbers to such an extent as to prove injurious to mankind, for it not only furnishes man with an article of food, but is, by carnivorous animals of every description, mercilessly sacrificed. Notwithstanding this, however, in the time of the Roman power, they once infested the Balearic Islands to such an extent that the inhabitants were obliged to implore the assistance of a military force from Augustus to exterminate them. Ragout of rabbit or hare. Ingredients. One rabbit, one teaspoonful of flour, three sliced onions, two ounces of butter, 
a few thin slices of bacon, pepper and salt to taste, two slices of lemon, one bay leaf, and one glass of port wine. Mode. Slice the onions and put them into a stew pan with the flour and butter. Place the pan near the fire, stir well as the butter melts, till the onions become a rich brown colour, and add by degrees a little water or gravy till the mixture is of the consistency of cream. Cut some thin slices of bacon, lay in these with the rabbit cut into neat joints, add a seasoning of pepper and salt, the lemon and bay leaf, and let the whole simmer till tender. Pour in the port wine, give one boil, and serve. Time, about half an hour to simmer the rabbit. Average cost, from one shilling to one and sixpence each. Sufficient for four or five persons. Seasonable from September to February. The Rabbit House. Rabbit keeping is generally practised by a few individuals in almost every town, and by a few in almost every part of the country. Forty years ago there were in the metropolis one or two considerable breeders, who, according to report, kept from 1,600 to 2,000 breeding does. These large establishments, however, have ceased to exist, and London receives the supply of tame as well as wild rabbits, chiefly from the country. Where they are kept, however, the rabbit house should be placed upon a dry foundation and be well ventilated. Exposure to rain, whether externally or internally, is fatal to rabbits, which, like sheep, are liable to the rot, springing from the same causes. Thorough ventilation and good air are indispensable where many rabbits are kept, or they will neither prosper nor remain healthy for any length of time. A thorough draught or passage for the air is therefore absolutely necessary, and should be so contrived as to be checked in cold or wet weather by the closing or shutting of opposite doors or windows. Roast or Baked Rabbit 983 Ingredients 1 rabbit, forcemeat number 417, buttered paper, sausage meat. Mode Empty skin and thoroughly wash the rabbit. Wipe it dry, line the inside with sausage meat and forcemeat made by recipe number 417 and to which has been added the minced liver. Sew the stuffing inside, skewer back the head between the shoulders, cut off the fore joints of the shoulders and legs, bring them close to the body and secure them by means of a skewer. Wrap the rabbit in buttered paper and put it down to a bright clear fire. Keep it well basted and a few minutes before it is done, remove the paper, flour and froth it, and let it acquire a nice brown colour. Take out the skewers, and serve with brown gravy and red currant jelly. To bake the rabbit, proceed in the same manner as above, in a good oven. It will take about the same time as roasting. Time. A young rabbit, 35 minutes, a large one, about three quarters of an hour. Average cost from one shilling to one and sixpence each. Sufficient for four persons. Seasonable from September to February. The hutch. Hutches are generally placed one above another to the height required by the number of rabbits and the extent of the room. Where a large stock is kept to make the most of room, the hutches may be placed in rows with sufficient interval between for feeding and cleaning instead of being, in the usual way, joined to the wall. It is preferable to rest the hutches upon stands about a foot above the ground, for the convenience of cleaning under them. 
Each of the hutches intended for breeding should have two rooms, a feeding and a bedroom. Those are single for the use of the weaned rabbits or for the buck, which are always kept separate. The floors should be plain smooth, that wet may run off, and a common hoe with a short handle and a short broom are most convenient implements for cleaning these houses. Stewed Rabbit, 984. Ingredients. One rabbit, two large onions, six cloves, one small teaspoonful of chopped lemon peel, a few forcemeat balls, thickening of butter and flour, one large tablespoonful of mushroom ketchup. Mode. Cut the rabbit into small joints, put them in a stewpan, add the onions sliced, the cloves and minced lemon peel. Pour in sufficient water to cover the meat, and when the rabbit is nearly done, drop in a few forcemeat balls, to which has been added the liver, finely chopped. Thicken the gravy with flour and butter, put in the ketchup, give one boil and serve. Time. Rather more than half an hour. Average cost, one shilling to one shilling and sixpence each. Sufficient for four or five persons. Seasonable from September to February. Fancy rabbits. The graceful fall of the ears is the first thing that is looked to by a fancier. Next the dewlap if the animal is in its prime then the colours and marked points, and lastly the shape and general appearance. The ears of a fine rabbit should extend not less than seven inches, measured from tip to tip in a line across the skull. But even should they exceed this length, they are admitted with reluctance into a fancy stock, unless they have a uniform and graceful droop. The dewlap, which is the fold of skin under the neck and throat, is only seen in fancy rabbits after they have attained their full growth. It commences immediately under the jaw and adds greatly to the beauty of their appearance. It goes down the throat and between the forelegs and is so broad that it projects beyond the chin. The difference between the fancy and common rabbit in the back independent of the ears is sufficient to strike the common observer. Fancy rabbits fetch a very high price, so much as five and ten guineas, and even more is sometimes given for a first-rate doe. If the young ones are first procured from a good family, the foundation of an excellent stock can be procured for a much smaller sum. Sometimes the ears, instead of drooping down, slope backwards. A rabbit with this characteristic is scarcely admitted into a fancy lot and is not considered worth more than the common variety. The next position is when one ear lops outward, and the other stands erect. Rabbits of this kind possess but little value, however fine the shape and beautiful the colour, although they sometimes breed as good specimens as finer ones. The forward or horn lop is one degree nearer perfection than the half lop. The ears in this case slope forward and down over the forehead. Rabbits with this peculiarity are often perfect in other respects, with the exception of the droop of the ears, and often become the parents of perfect young ones. Does of this kind often have the power of lifting an ear erect. In the ear-lop the ears spread out in a horizontal position, like the wings of a bird in flight, or the arms of a man swimming. A great many excellent does have this characteristic, and some of the best-bred bucks in the fancy are entirely so. Sometimes a rabbit drops one ear completely, but raises the other one so nearly horizontal as to constitute an ear-lop. 
This is superior to all others, except the perfect four, which is so rarely to be met with, that those which are merely earlopped are considered as valuable rabbits, if well-bred and with other qualities. The real lop has ears that hang down by the side of the cheek, slanting somewhat outward in their descent, with the open part of the ear inward, and sometimes either backwards or forwards instead of perpendicular. When the animal stands in an easy position, the tips of the ears touch the ground. The hollows of the ears, in a fancy rabbit of the first kind, should be turned so completely backward that only the outer part of them should remain in front. They should match exactly in their descent, and should slant outward as little as possible. The same authority asserts that perfect lops are so rare that a breeder possessing twenty of the handsomest and most perfect does would consider himself lucky if in the course of a year he managed to raise twelve full-lopped rabbits out of them all. As regard variety and purity of colour, an experienced breeder says, The fur of fancy rabbits may be blue or rather lead-coloured, and white or black and white, or tawny and white, that is, tortoiseshell coloured but it is not of so much importance what colours the coat of a rabbit displays, as it is that those colours shall be arranged in a particular manner, forming imaginary figures or fancied resemblances to certain objects. Hence the peculiarities of their marking have been denoted by distinctive designations. What is termed the blue butterfly smut was for some time considered the most valuable of fancy rabbits. It is thus named on account of having bluish or lead-coloured spots on either side of the nose, having some resemblance to the spread wings of a butterfly, what may be termed the groundwork of the rabbit's face being white. A black and white rabbit may also have the face marked in a similar manner, constituting a black butterfly smut. But a good fancy rabbit must likewise have other marks, without which it cannot be considered a perfect model of its kind. There should be a blue or black patch on its back, called the saddle. The tail must be of the same colour with the back and snout, while the legs should be all white, and there ought to be dark stripes on both sides of the body in front, passing backward to meet the saddle, and uniting on the top of the shoulders at the part called the withers in a horse. These stripes form what is termed the chain, having somewhat the appearance of a chain or collar hanging round the neck. Among thoroughbred fancy rabbits, perhaps not one in a hundred will have all these markings clearly and exactly displayed on the coat. But the more nearly the figures on the coat of a rabbit approach to the pattern described, the greater will be its value, so far at least as relates to colour. The beauty and consequent worth of a fancy rabbit, however, depend a good deal on its shape, or what is called its carriage. A rabbit is said to have a good carriage when its back is finely arched, rising two full inches above the top of its head, which must be held so low as for the muzzle and the points of the ears to reach almost to the ground. Stewed Rabbits, Larded, 985 Ingredients, one rabbit, a few strips of bacon, rather more than a pint of good broth or stock, a bunch of savoury herbs, salt and pepper to taste, thickening of butter and flour, one glass of sherry. Mode. Well wash the rabbit, cut it into quarters, lard them with blips of bacon, and fry them, then put them in a stewpan with the broth, herbs, and a seasoning of pepper and salt. 
Simmer gently until the rabbit is tender, then strain the gravy, thicken it with butter and flour, add the sherry, give one boil, pour it over the rabbit and serve. Garnish with slices of cut lemon. Time. Rather more than half an hour. Average cost, one shilling to one and sixpence each. Sufficient for four or five persons. Seasonable from September to February. THE HARE RABBIT There has been lately introduced to French tables an animal called the hare rabbit, partaking of the nature, characteristics and qualifications of both the hare and the rabbit. It is highly spoken of, both as regards flesh and flavour, and it is said to be the only hybrid which is able to perpetuate its race. We hope that some enterprising ability will soon secure for English tables what would seem to be a really valuable addition to our other game and poultry dishes, although it will be rather difficult to assign its proper position as within or without the meanings of game, as by law established. Only a few specimens have been seen in England at present, but there is no reason to doubt that our rabbit fanciers will prove equal to the occasion, and cope successfully with our neighbours across the channel in introducing a new animal serviceable in the kitchen. The Angora Rabbit This is one of the handsomest of all rabbits. It takes its name from being an inhabitant of Angora, a city and district of Asia Minor. Like the well-known Angora goat and cat, both of which are valuable on account of their fineness of their wool and fur, this rabbit is prized for its long-waved silk fur, which as an article of commerce is highly esteemed. We are not aware whether it is eaten by the inhabitants, and but few specimens have been introduced into England, where doubtless the beauty of its coat would materially suffer from the more humid and less genial character of the climate. To the rabbits of the ancient and mountainous district of Angora the words of the wise man would seem most to apply. The conies are but feeble folk, yet make they their houses in the rocks. The Himalaya Rabbit Amidst the mighty Himalaya mountains, whose peaks are the highest on the globe, the pretty rabbit here portrayed is found, and his colour seems to be like the snow, which above the altitude of from 13,000 to 16,000 feet, perpetually crowns the summits of these monarchs of the world. It is at present a very rare animal in England, but will doubtless be more extensively known in the course of a few years. From the earth-tunnelling powers of this little animal, Marshall declares that mankind learnt the art of fortification, mining, and covered roads. End of section 047